1: Allows coaches to coach and not the monotonous task of stuffing and dealing with binders on the practice field. Check out the Coach Pad, the Coach Pad Mini, on thecoachpad.com. Please make sure you check out our sponsors, our affiliates. Also sponsoring this episode with Coach Tyard is our friends at GoRoute. Coaches, do you find yourself spending too much time during practice getting frustrated with your scout teams? Our friends at GoRoute have come up with a solution to help you get better, faster reps. GoRoute takes however you are used to drawing your cards, huddle plate tools, PowerPoint, even hand-drawn, and allows you to simply press send on your cell phone to share the card with your scout team players who are wearing a GoRoute device around their waist. Not only will you get more reps, but those reps will be better because your scouts will be wearing the card around their waist. GoRoute is currently running a holiday special, so now is a great time to get started. No payment needed until the spring and startup costs can be broken up to fit any budget. Experience a GoRoute practice for yourself at GoRoute.com experience. And here is another episode of the Gap Down Backer podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Gap Down Backer Podcast. Uh, today we kind of have a special episode um, with a coach who's done a clinic for me today, and this is kind of going to be a mixture of a clinic and a podcast. Uh, we have Coach Chandler Teigard, uh, the head football coach at Blackman uh, High School there in um, Tennessee. Uh, coach, I mean, how are you doing? Let's start with that. I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me back. So It was a fun last time, so excited to do it again. No problem, coach. I mean, it, it's great to have you. And I mean, we both I mean, you kind of you've obviously switched schools since last time we've talked um, Transitioned to probably one of the, the bigger schools in the state of Tennessee. Um, obviously, I mean, we talked a little bit off screen beforehand. I mean, you've had some quite a few notable kids come out of that school, um, obviously, for reference for the Ohio State people that the Master T. Um, <laughs> But do you, before you get started, you want to kind of talk about, like, the historical tradition mean, – I don't know if the tradition is the right word, but um, history of producing quality talent out of that school? Yeah, so Blyman's got, like, 14 current Division One players out there uh, all over the country.
0: Juwan Jennings, uh, Tennessee, Master Teague at Ohio State, um, uh, or Juwan's at the 49ers now, uh, Donna Sote at Southern Cal. So there's, there's a bunch. We've got some kids that are getting offers now. Um, so a history of putting out a bunch of, uh, athletes, not necessarily turning that into winning state championships. Um, so we've only been to the semifinals once we've been in the quarters a couple times, but we play in the hardest region in the state for public school football. Um, so we've got nationally ranked teams. Um, the number one team in the is always is a region rival right down the road. So, uh, a bunch of good players, but a huge challenge to try to overcome, um, some of the better programs that are in our state in, in public school football. So um, we're in Murfreesboro, which is about, you know, 45 minutes outside of Nashville, and it's kind of a hotbed of high school football. Um, arguably, it's like the SEC West of, of, you know, football public school-wise in our state. So it's definitely a challenge. Uh, we've had a lot of good athletes, and so we wanted to kind of do something different. That's why they brought me in. And uh, we hired 14 new coaches, um, you know, from I got hired in February. Um, and and just kind of reset everything, decided why are we going to do all this stuff. Uh, A lot of the things we talked about before at North Jackson, we brought over, and uh, one of my coaches came with me. And so we kind of took some of the things we did there, and then we added some other things from from our coaches from all over. And, you know, we're kind of putting this thing together. It was a rebuilding year last year. We did some great things on offense. We got to improve on defense. uh, But we're headed in the right direction.
1: I mean, that's fantastic, Coach. So Coach is going to talk – uh, tempo and analytics today, um, obviously, I mean, obviously the X and O stuff are, is fantastic, but I think part of where and, and, and football has gone, gone is the tempo part is obviously a key factor. I mean, Chip Car- Kelly started that revolution. I mean, God, what is that 20 years ago now? And, it, yeah. and there's variations of tempo nowadays. There's full fast pace, there's uh, check of the line, all that lovely stuff and how you want to do it. And then analytics, I mean, I think, kind of has become a buzzword and I think everybody yeah. kind of uses it. And and I mean, you you watch it on TV. I mean, the San Diego coach is getting just eviscerated on TV because he's fallen yeah. analytics. I mean, but it, let's be honest, if he would have converted those four downs, I mean he's looks like I mean he's a golden boy for analytics at that point. So I mean
0: I'm sure we're going to get into that, it definitely is a buzzword, I mean,
1: uh, especially down
0: here, you know, the way Coach Kiffin is doing it, and some of these other guys, uh, which we're going to talk about, and, you know, just because it's the right decision to go for it, but you don't execute, doesn't mean it's the wrong decision, Um, you know, we we do some stuff live in game, that's really cool, and, you know, I'm just hoping it can help some other people out, and get them outside the box, I wasn't a math person before I got into this thing, so, uh, but now, you know, we're either really, really smart or really stupid depending on what we're doing right now. So we'll see how it works out and i will talk to you in a couple of years from now.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, Kevin's another great point about it because I think I read a statistic, like, at one point he'd gone for it more than fourth down than, like, any other coach. Or I forget what the statistic was. He, he like, converted, like, 60% out there what it was because they talked about, I think, how him and Jimbo Fisher. I think it was that week they played. They're polar opposites. Yeah, yeah and how they use analytics and how – um Kiffin and his percentage for going for it on sixth, fourth down, whereas, yeah, and all that lovely stuff. So, um, Coach, go ahead and kind of take it away, and I'll chime yeah. in as, as we go. And um, coaches, like I said, I mean, Coach always drops the good stuff. So, um, as, as we go, if there's anything you are unsure of, and I'll repeat this at the end, but I'll have tags in the, in the menu um, so coaches can go back if you want to go back to a specific spot as Coach starts. So, the floor is yours, Coach. All right. Thanks. Yeah. And then
0: my, my email's on here and everything. So if anybody wants a copy, uh, free to share that. Um, so pretty much can you go ahead and see this? I'll see, get started. Um, so why we started doing hurry up tempo. Uh, I've done this since 2017 when I switched over to be an offensive coordinator. Um, and it's, it's been awesome for our program. So uh, that don't mean it's necessarily right for everybody. Uh, I know a lot of guys will change tempos, you know, do a fast, do a slow, uh, we are always as fast as we want to go until we get into a four minute situation where we'll do like the uh, sugar huddle, you know, that Auburn has. Uh, but the biggest thing for us is we want to go real fast. We want to get more kids out to play, which means more kids get to have fun. It's fun for the players and fans. We only had four home games this year. The schedule was set before I got uh, hired, but we actually made more money through attendance dollars than we did uh, both years beforehand uh, when they had five home games, just because we're this exciting, you know, brand of offense that everybody wants to come see. uh, And we made a killing financially, which is, which is really nice. And then next year we have seven home games on our schedule. So it ended up working out well for us for next year. Um, But I mean, money-wise, man, I I didn't really understand that uh, until I took this job here. And um, that part was really exciting. We branded it, which you'll see. You know, we've got we're, – we're blazing fast. I got it on shirts. We got it on uh, uh, graphics. We, you know, we, we, we call ourselves all these different things to kind of brand our style of play. Um, and I think it affects the kids, and they get super fired up about that.
1: Um, how, how big of an offensive difference was it from your predecessor? Huge.
0: Huge, huge. Um, so the year before, and pretty much every year, I mean, they had Master Teague there. They've had Octavius Mathers who played at Ole Miss, uh, one of my coaches now. But uh, so Blackman has always had a stud running back. And the year before I got there, uh, they were basically in I formation running power and counter the entire time. Um the previous three years combined, they're running power the entire time. I'm talking 10 passes a game um, to where now this past year. You know, I think the most we threw it in a game was 70, uh, 72, I think is what it was. Uh, I mean, you're talking a lot. Um, and, you know, it, it swung way too far in the other direction. I didn't mean to go that far. Uh, just kind of happened to be that game. But, um, you know, it's, it, I don't think what you're doing in the, in the past necessarily, you know, I don't think that affects uh, how fast you can go as long as this is all you do. We started doing this in spring. Uh, we do it all summer. We do it all the time. And I think it it just kind of takes off. Um, you can sell it to a lot of kids very easy. Uh, the biggest thing is it's stats for everybody. So I can't, even though we, we're the number one passing team in the state, we can still argue to a running back, hey, because we run 80 plays a game, or that's our goal, and the average team's running 40, we have double the plays, which is double the stats for everybody to be successful. It's basically fast break fast break basketball on grass. Uh, we want to lengthen the game. Um, now, we only average 65, 70 snaps um, some years, and other years we've been in the 80s, uh, so it really just depends on the season and your kids and how well you're uh succeeding and running the ball. When you run the ball, you can go a lot faster than when you're throwing incomplete passes. Um, so we want to get to that 80 mark, but um we don't necessarily have a goal and we're checking down. Ultimately, we just want to win the game. Uh we do like to be mentally and physically wear down the opponent, though we are in better condition. We talk about that a lot in the summer. Um we want to be the most conditioned team in the state. And then the other thing is is we're a lot different kind of like how if you're seeing a wing T or triple option team, we're just kind of the opposite. So we, you want to zig when everybody zags. Uh, the best team in our state uh, in the public school game, they run the wing T system, um, and they're very difficult to prepare for. Um, so we tried to go the opposite direction and try to give, one, give players and families a different alternative to where they can come throw it around, throw and catch, have some fun, uh, but at the same time be completely different to simulate in practice than the majority of the teams we play are tight end wing power counter buck sweep. Uh, from shotgun, you know, so we, we are different personnel, different motions, uh, hurry up, and so we want to make it harder uh, to prepare against us, we do a different swinging gate every game, we do, uh, we've run 42 trick plays the last three years, and so when we go fast, it makes it harder to use those tendencies against us. So we call ourselves the fastest show on turf, uh, Blazing Fast, Blackman High School. Uh, Again, it goes back to branding your side of the ball, whether you're an OC, DC. When I was a defense coordinator, we we called it Sack City. Um, I think the kids get into this kind of stuff. So we kind of took the the greatest show on turf from the Rams, and now we're trying to be the fastest show. we got a nice turf field. So um, sounds really cool. Put it on T-shirts, brand your side of the ball. And I think the kids really, really get excited about that. So uh making a gold shirt we like we give out t-shirts and of certificates or anything so at the uh at the banquet we're giving out you know t-shirts uh kids like swag and gear so we try to give it out uh with our name as much as we can plus uh i give out shirts to everybody on campus um the the janitors the lunch ladies the front desk people uh, the bookkeeper, all those people get shirts after football season because we want them wearing them out all over town. So then when people see each other at the grocery store, they, they recognize all oh, the, the fastest show on turf. That's Blackman football. It's their offense. It's super sexy and cool. Let's go. Let's go check that out. So uh, it all goes together and it's kind of the branding deal. But um, I think it's really neat when we see those shirts out there around town. Uh, so this past year, we only played nine games, had a COVID game. Um, but, you know, we were the number one, number one passing team uh, in the state. But at the same time, we were number two total yards in our classification. Uh, the neat thing is we had two quarterbacks throw for more than 1,000 yards. Not super into stats, but uh, first year, new program, only three kids that had, that had played varsity football the year before we got there uh, who ran a power eye system. It was pretty neat to go out there and throw it around a good bit and, uh, you know, lead the state passing. That was a goal preseason, so uh, it was kind of neat to do that. Uh, so here's how we do it. Stop me, Coach, if you got any uh, questions. Um, so let, let me try to explain this in a way that's easy. The first thing we do is we have automatic formations that are based on personnel. So we base out of an 11 personnel offense just to start day one, um, and we've got a base formation. Um, so what we do is if we change from that base, we always start in that. So it's a two-by-one formation with a sniffer to the two-receiver side. Uh, 80% of our snaps are on a hash, so we we act like we're starting on a hash. That drives me nuts how OCs always draw up two by two from the middle of the field. Uh, I guess it's the defensive coach in me, but so we base everything on a two by one strong, um, unbalanced on purpose because most of the defenses we see are balanced three three, three four, four four. Um, so we're an unbalanced, you know, two by one strong. Uh, if we do anything outside of that formation, we are going to motion to it okay and then we want to cut as many words down we have a lot of one word calls two word calls uh, we don't probably get any more than three word calls um, and then we want to tag a play if it only affects one or two people we won't create a new play uh, we kind of go by like the air raid rule of four so we've got four drawback passes four rpos four sprint out plays four quick games that, that kind of deal uh, so we don't want a lot of plays so we'll just tag it to change one or two guys uh, we give a family of motions. So, our tailback, for example, for him to jet across the field is thunder and lightning, but for our slot receiver to jet across the field is razor and laser. So, the reason we've done that is to remove the F razor, T razor. Yeah. If that makes sense, to remove the two words. So, to cut it down, we've given everybody a family, um, you know, like some motion across the formation or whatever. Um, so, cause we don't want to tag T uh, T razor with the formation, with the play, and then now you've got five words. Uh, we try to build in the, the motions as much as possible to our play calls. So we've got a couple like, you know, your, your two point pick, pick, flat play. Uh, we've got a funny in and out return motion that's just built into the play and we don't have to say anything um so that's the way to do it we're trying to do that more this year is to just have as many one word calls as possible um our rpos they're built in there's automatics built in on every run and then our protections when we do draw back and pass um, are built in our center can make protection calls and so we remove the the quarterback having to slow anything down by calling protections we build it into the center um and what he sees is what he calls if that makes sense so there's a whole lot of automatics and that's kind of how you get going real fast so like this is our base formation this is our two by one uh this right here was our tight zone to the left um so we called it tulsa last year and uh what it is is we're going tight zone left okay i don't i don't know can you see my mouse you're good okay um So the base rule when we got there was it's going to be true triple option, right? So your tight end is arcing, your slot receiver runs a bubble. This is the post-snap side of the RPO, where our glance is the pre-snap side of our RPO. Um, And so what we do is we just tell the quarterback there's always a pre-snap side, always a post-snap side. Our base rules are if you're the outside receiver and the slot is coming to you. So whether he's running a bubble, whether he's running a jet motion across the field, whether he's running an orbit motion, if he's coming from left to right, the right receiver is going to block the outside number of the corner. If you're the outside receiver and the F is going away from you, meaning he's bubbling on the other side, he's motioning away, then you run the glance. We run a five-step skinny post is what we want to do. Uh, and he'll break it off skinny or flat, depending on how tough the corner is on top of him, uh, if you follow me there. Yep. And then the quarterback is just uh, if he decides um, to do a uh, – he doesn't like the pre-snap side, then he's just going to be a true dive key, pitch key. Now our quarterback this year was a big 65 uh kid pocket passing kid. And so what we did is we took off this dive key. So we made the automatic Tulsa play for it to be a kickout block or a down block by our tight end. So now we're removing the dive key. So everything else stayed the same where he can throw uh or read the apex defender to go bubble or he can hand the ball off or he's pre-snapping thinking to the left for the glance. Okay. If you follow me there. Yep. Um, the way we number the bubbles and stuff is we don't count anybody. This is the R4 deal. We don't count anybody um, behind the umpire. So the umpire stands about eight yards, eight, ten yards. So any safety that's deeper than him, we don't count. And so all we're doing is if our bubble guy is our second receiver, we count one, two outside in. So that is the person that he's keying for a bubble throw. Uh, if this free safety rolled down, that would be our second guy. Which obviously he would be, have good leverage on the bubble, so we would not throw that ball. Yeah. Um, if the tight end was out wide, like our, I think our next formation, yeah, so our tight end's out wide and he's running the bubble, then it would take one, two, three, one, two, three underneath the umpire to determine whether we throw
1: that ball or not. Um, so it's true, it's like a triple option counting system is how we do it. How big of an adjustment was it for your quarterbacks? Because obviously you said there was a very run heavy offense beforehand. How is that process for when you're adding a whole different system and especially an RPO system and a system where you're moving it at warp speed, yeah. how big of an adjustment and learning curve was that for them? And how did you kind of adjust for that?
0: Uh, it really wasn't, man. Cause honestly we played two quarterbacks. Um, so one of them was a transfer who didn't even start until June. So we didn't get any spring practice with us. He was at another team that ran RPOs, um, but he was at a private school up in, up in Nashville uh, but not like the way we do into where they were more regimented like a robot. Um, and then our other quarterback went through screen ball, um, but he just kind of figured it out. So it's, it's the numbering system for your, for your screens, your screen games, so your bubbles and, and uh, now screens. So if I'm running bubbles and nows, how many receivers do I have out there? If I've got three receivers out there and the ball's going to my tight end, like from this position, we'll run a shoot and block the F. So he'll just run a quick flat like an arrow route. Well, again, it takes one, two, three defenders to defeat that arrow route. If this guy's above the umpire, we don't count him anyways. Um, So we act like he doesn't exist. The mic would then become the read guy for the shoot. Well, right now he's out leveraged by the shoot route. If he ran a flat right now, he's out leveraged. The mic is, so we just go ahead and throw it to him. Um, We're looking to get the ball out as fast as we can, and we're fine with throwing bubbles or flare routes. Uh, to our fast guys, I'd rather I only have to block one person on the bubble and make him move, make him miss as opposed to handing the ball off and eating all six blocks in here to work out well. Um, so it's kind of like a rocket toss for a for a flex bone guy, I guess. Get you one, one two blocks and go. Um, if we want to read the glance side, then we can actually make that our post snap side. OK, and make our bubble pre snap by just telling him, you know, Tulsa glance as opposed to regular Tulsa. Tulsa base rule means I'm reading the bubble side. Tulsa glance means now, Hey, we're reading this guy. And now if this Sam is eight is leveraged pre-snap, we can throw the bubble. So you're just kind of giving them freedom. Uh, the more they do this now, we'll actually let them read both sides. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so now they can, they pretty much figured it out now. So now we can start to combine quarterback runs with glances and uh, that's when it gets really nasty. So by the end of the year we were doing that kind of deal uh, to where you're running quarterback trade to the counter trade to the left, but he can still throw a glance to the left and that stuff gets hard to stop. Yeah. Um, so this is our base and you know this is how this is our base run day one and we we'll get in the spring. Um, when I say we change to any formation, so like we call empty this and this picture would be empty, then here we are going to shift to it. So we start in our base, and then if I call empty, so this play here is our empty four birds. Then they shift out to empty. I don't have to say, it used to be explode to empty right four birds. Does that make sense? Yeah. So now all we got to say is empty four birds. Um, if I don't say a direction, it's automatically right. So this used to be our base 20 right. It's all, it's now it's just base. So if I just stick my hand up base, that's what they're, they're going to line up with the, f receiver to the field okay there's the x and z are left and right the sniffer is going to be to the f unless i say far and then he'll motion actually away from base into far from the two receivers you follow okay. me there? yeah that makes sense so it's uh just kind of bait your base two by one to the field I kind of skip that part all right so this would be our empty so they explode out to empty uh empty left would flip the whole thing but they would still explode out to empty um our x and z are still left and right our f y and t those are the ones that that move around uh let's see here okay we change personnel so we have a 12 personnel package to where we take one of the outside receivers off the field so our z is off the field the y has come in for him so now we're playing with two tight ends uh it's still the exact base rules for us so base in this package would still be the same picture to the field. So you'd have an outside receiver, a slot, and a sniffer to the field. Now you just have an attached tight end weak uh, into the boundary. So it's kind of the same rules. This is our base counterplay. Uh, again, we're arcing um, as our base rule to arc block any, any run, turn it into triple option. Our bubble rules are still the same. Um, so if we count one to two for the bubble, the quarterback can hand it, pull it, or throw it. Um, Again, like our far motion, if his base rule for the sniffer is to line up near the uh, slot receiver, far would put him in motion, all right, to get you that true uh, like two by two tight end pair look. Um, We used to carry these formations. This was pro, uh, the the, the H back to the left with the Y would be pair. Now we don't have to because they know when we're in 12 personnel, our base is this pro formation. If we said far, just like the previous picture, you motions across and now you're getting a, a pair of formation. So we don't even have to carry all these different formation words that they have to memorize. We just change the personnel and build in an automatic for that personnel. Uh, if we were in double zero personnel, five receivers, our base would be three by two empty. Um, and you know we don't have to go out there and say empty they know as soon as we say double zero it's going to be empty does that make you follow me there yeah Um, so this is our counter to the left and, and we build in the rpos into it um so here's one where we built in a motion so this is our run and shoot go um so in the run and shoot we wanted to motion this guy across to declare whether it's man or zone um, so we we're, we're motioning our Y across the formation. We want to declare man or zone, and then special is one of those tags I mentioned to where the uh two and three receiver change jobs. So uh we wouldn't say trio here, so this would automatically just be uh, green special and the tight end would motion across, they would change jobs, it's always to the field, and so two words we're getting a motion trio, we gun. Green, which is our go with a with a tag and only two words. Um, so green is outside goes, a seam read by the uh, tight end, and then a whip route by the F because we changed jobs. If it was regular green, the F would have the seam read and then the tight end would just run a shoot route. So uh, two words, but we're getting a lot of it done. It's really not as much memorization as you think as long as you build in the motions to the original play the first day you install it.
1: Uh, now this is the coolest thing we've ever done for tempo. Are you familiar with Go Route? Um, actually I, me and them have messaged back and forth. So they, you might have a sponsorship ad at the beginning of this episode before you talk, but I right. so don't, uh, I've not personally read it now.
0: They don't pay me for this. Um, I just get, if I get referrals, that's great. Um, you know, I'll get another device or two, but man, this thing is an absolute game changer. Uh, and every person that, is asked me about tempo. I've got to tell them this because this has changed everything. So, go out for the people that don't know is basically a device like a cell phone. Um, it's actually an Android phone. And the kids wear it around a belt attached around their hips at practice. Um, and so, what it does is you can send in a scout card for scout offense or a scout defense and you send in the card uh, just with your phone and you hit send and it it vibrates onto their uh, devices and they see the card drawn just like this in front of them. Um, So here's what it's done for us, which is uh, incredible. Okay, Um, so the average number of snaps per minute since using GoRoute, this is across all the different um, schools that that they service, they get two and a half snaps a minute for 24 to 26 snaps in a 10-minute period, we're averaging about 25. Um, so we ran over 2,500 scout team plays, and uh, that's basically double how many we would have been doing um, before we used this go-route system. So we're able, for, for our offense, that's how a lot of the guys want to know how to use it. Our offense goes out there, and we're running plays just like a game. So whether you script it or not, We just – we'll put the ball down and we do like a game situation. So, you know, here's all of our third down plays. And they call out a third down, third and long, third and seven, whatever. And I'm making my calls just like I would in a game. Um, We move the field. And we go as fast as we can go down the field, driving the field. Uh, The receivers have to throw or hand the the, uh, ball back to the umpire to be spotted quickly. And then the scout defensive coach is sending in a different coverage blitz or play every single play that we run during a scout period. So all you have to do is draw them on the left hash and the right hash, and then he sees what hash we're on and sends in the play. So I can get a different coverage. I can go from cover four to three to two man to whatever. I can get a different blitz. I can get a different front. I can get an entirely different look every single play while we're trying to snap the ball in 10 seconds. So it is so fast and easy to where all the kids have to do is just look down at their belt they don't have to uh, come to a huddle. They don't have to do any of that. They just see I'm in a I'm I'm the field four technique. Now I'm a five. Let's rock and roll. And it's do that. You, do
1: you usually use this more for your scout defense than anything. We
0: do a combination of everything. We do scout defense. Okay. At the same time, we're because we've got hundred and twenty kids. So on the other side of the field, our scout offense is running it. Um, okay. so the scout offense is just staying out there. It's basically no huddle scout team. So they're staying out in formations and running plays back to back to back as opposed to coming back in the huddle. And that's how you can go so much faster. We're also doing installs with it. So we took this from Stanford. So what we do this spring is we're going to install, say, our four vertical play. Uh, We're going to go out there. We're going to stand in formation. We'll send them the play. They can look down and see the diagram exactly as you would in a meeting room. They walk through the play. Okay. So now we're talking through the play. So they see it, they walk through it. And then if you need to show them film, you take that group over to the sideline and we've got these sideline televisions we use for instant replay and we can hook those up to an iPad and show them the cutups of four verticals while the second group is about to do the same thing. Okay. So yeah, so you're literally running two or three groups uh, with the go route. So they're installing then they're walking through the play, then they see the video. So you're doing like a live meeting room as opposed to the old days of sitting in the classroom. Here's the, here's the drawing, here's the picture and you're sitting there. Um, so we're kind of combining the walkthrough with that.
1: If you follow me there. Um, so how much, how much has that eliminated your classroom time then? I'm assuming it hasn't eliminated everything, but. You don't have to have any. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's,
0: that's a game changer there. And when, you know, it's smart I'm not, Super smart, but it's smarter for Stanford. So I was like, hey, that makes perfect sense to me. So uh, The key is you just got to have a lot of devices, you know. So we, we only had 14 devices this year. We're going up at least to 22 next year. Uh, Stanford's got 50. So, um, you know, you just – right now we're picking an offense day to do that and defense does something else and flip it. Um, but the more and more we get these things, I mean – I've even got some old school coaches that, you know, they came in. I'm going to draw every single card by hand, which you can do with this thing um, and upload them. And even those guys were like, man, this is I'm never going back. Um, so I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't get paid anything for this. I'm just trying to share the good word. And man, if, if you're trying to go fast, um, our practices are so much faster because of this. You know, we don't, we don't practice any longer than we do a two and a half hour practice on Tuesday. Other than that, it's an hour and a half or less an hour. Forty-five minutes, um, so because you're getting so many snaps in such a short period of time, you'll run your kids to death if you're actually doing a, a two and a half hour practice every day going this fast.
1: <laughs> hey, you'll be in good shape though.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, now you're going to be in good shape, and the kids love it, man. They're good with technology. Um, so here's the number for Joe. Uh, I think he's the OC at College of DuPage. I think he's up there by you guys. Uh, but man, this is what it is. So like you see on the screen, it's basically yeah. this little. Uh, it says device and they fit in these sleeves. So, you you know, the, the phone goes in the sleeve, goes to the belt around your waist, and then you use your phone or a tablet or whatever you want. We use an iPad uh, for offense. They've got uh, one of their phones for defense and they just click the little green button and you're sending in into plays as fast as you can go. Um, it's pretty affordable. And then the coolest thing, man, is it runs on the 911 cell tower system. So you don't have to have Wi-Fi. It's always working. I don't know how they got this done, but it works on at and uh, Verizon, T-Mobile, all of them. Like, I don't, that's the biggest I, thing. Is I
1: don't, I don't want to even know how they legally are able to do that. Nope. I don't know either,
0: but it's because it, I mean, I'm telling you, dude, it always works and it, it's instant. So you just send a play one second, their, their phone is vibrating and they got the next card. Yeah. Um it, there's a little charging station it's not this one I guess I've got an older model it's uh, it just sits in our staff room and it's got a little lot box to it and it's basically got 14 different plugs USB plugs that plug into it it's got little slots just like this picture here and you just plug it in um, and every day after practice and then uh, we take it out actually in a cooler so we've got like a little um, you know I don't know one of these little cheapo uh, wheeling coolers because uh, you know we get 100 degrees out on that turf and so we just put them in there until we need them and then the kids just wear them all practice uh i get a question like well do they hold up do they tear up can you tackle with them on you could do all that if they break uh they just send you a new one but we've yet to have one break so they're in like a, a life proof case like so it's waterproof shadowproof, all that kind of do it's awesome man go right. all right so now's the analytic stuff so this is gonna be cool all right so um Sports science, man, that's it. It's actually that more than analytics. I think analytics is actually a, uh, a part within the greater whole of sports science. Um, a lot of this is general, but it just causes you to think, uh, what is a better understanding of what's actually happening in the game? Um, how can you measure what's going on in the game? Is there stats that you can use? Is there data points? Like, what can you find? Um, it helps you kind of come up with a game plan to improve your team's performance, which everybody's doing that anyways. But it, again, it goes back to asking you why over and over and over again, um, identify your players dominant and limiting qualities to approve. For example, that's what we did with our offensive line while we do the, the Tony Franklin style back panel protection, because we were limited to start the year uh, and it helped us tremendously. So, you know, a lot of that has to do with angles and math too. Uh, I've done the wide splits before, and there's benefits of that. Now we're doing the two-foot splits. Uh, so it's just making you think why you do all this stuff. Uh, this has been helpful for us. We can re- create what we call immersive learning experiences, all right? So that's like a millennial term for let the other kids fail and then teach them why they failed. So we give a lot of freedom to our quarterbacks, and they're going to screw it up, but we just want to teach them after they make that mistake why it was a mistake, as opposed to I do not want a robot quarterback that is just trying to like play Madden back there or just try to follow these defined 100% rules because ultimately they are on the field, I'm not, they see it better than I do. Occasionally they will have ideas that are really, really good. uh, And occasionally they'll screw it up and then you just ask them why and you can take that experience to teach them the correct way that you want it done um, and they'll let them screw it up in practice in 707s long before you get to the games where hopefully they're not they're not screwing it up um, we we use what's called a holistic model of player development so this is kind of how we decide to script our practices uh, they're not as long as as they used to be back in the day we do we moved everything up a day so we meet on Sundays we do full tackle on Mondays I'll get to that uh, and, and the why we do that and just trying to rethink the way we do everything and see if there's a better way um, and, and create a sustainable culture that's going to last. We try to say we're going to build it over 10 years, not be a flash in the pan. Um, and again, none of this is original thought. So this is just going to be regurgitated from all these people that are a lot smarter than myself. All right. So here's analytics. Um, so Moneyball obviously became the big thing. Um, and that kind of brought it to the forefront of everybody. Awesome movie. And then now you've got guys like Coach Kiffin, who I uh, GA'd for. uh, There's a bunch of guys out there that are getting into analytics. I'm going to get into some of the ones that molded the way I did. Uh, Over here is this hidden game of football model. So, this is what Kevin Kelly used for points per yard line and then how he came up with his plan, which was slightly different than what we do. Um, But, uh, man, this is the the wave of the future. Um, You know, when you got the Warriors GM. Saying when people don't like analytics, they just like saying I like to guess. It doesn't mean stats. It means using information or data to make better informed decisions. That's, the, that's what it should be. It's not trying to play, um, ha- like hire a math person to make your decisions for you. It's just trying to make better informed decisions from all this data that does exist out there. And maybe there's a better way to do it than what we were all coached to do. I coach completely different than the way I grew up. Uh, and the way my high school coaches coached and the way some of my mentors coached and I've kind of veered down this different path because I do think there is a um, there's definitely an opening for uh, football coaches that have like expanded minds or more open to change than coaches that are kind of stuck in their ways. Um, I do think there is a, a large, um, you know, opening for you guys if you're into this kind of stuff. Uh, and then obviously Michael Lombardi talks a lot about analytics. Um, it's basically sent in for information. So again, better decisions. Um, and it's as simple as that. So I'm not a math person. So I failed the crap out of math, but I consider myself a common sense person. Uh, so here's how my analytics journey, man. So uh, 2017, I go and visited Kevin Kelly. He's been, you know, nationally famous. He's definitely getting out there now with the Presbyterian deal um he's been super helpful to me they do they've done coaches clinics one their defense coordinator down there um coach taylor's a good friend of mine from also from nashville and so i went and visited these guys and started picking their brains and i'm like man yeah they've won a lot of state championships and a lot of this stuff is goofy and different um but you know maybe there's something to it and um so we go down there so there's here's how the, the some of the stuff they do um not exactly what we do but it's definitely interesting to at least discuss um when the, at the time you know i was talking to him they've never punted he, he punted eight times in 15 years uh they onside kick almost every single time uh they're 85 percent pass they're an empty the entire game here's one that's interesting and i'm actually leaning to this direction they do not catch punts okay so if the punter if the other team is going to give you the ball back willingly then why are you going to try to block their kick and rough their kicker and give them the ball back? Or why are you going to try to catch the kick when only if you go back and look maybe once or twice or three times a year, you're going to drop it and give them the ball back? Um, He says on average, you lose seven yards of field position. We play on turf, so it is a little different. Um, We put two of our best players back there this year to catch punts. We did drop one, um, and we fair catch the majority of them. And is it even worth it? To have a kid back there for that one time and that one big game that you're going
1: to drop a punt. I don't know. Uh, did you guys drop any punts this year? Um, I don't think so. Uh, we did get a roughing the kicker call though. I know that. Um, so yeah. now I used to be like, "Hey, go block everyone."
0: You yeah. Know, block kick. There was a number out there at some point. Um, I probably find it that if you block a kick, you win this percentage of the game.
1: Yeah, it's like it's uh, like eighty-two percent or something like that. You win. I yeah. blocked two kicks in a game and lost the game, so I mean, it's that's aren't foolproof. We've had a 99% chance to win the game and lost the game, so yeah.
0: um, you know it is it is what it is. Um, but I mean, I do think it's worth discussing, and you know, me and the special teams guys and some of our coaches, we do talk about this. And every year, I'm like, oh man, I shouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> he does the same on kickoff return. So on kick return, they they don't coach it. So they don't spend any time on punt return. They don't spend any time on kick return. They get the ball, they run as far as they can, and get out of bounds. And nobody else hardly blocks to get a holding penalty. Um, it's and we don't do it that way. We actually try to return it, but it's it's you know pretty interesting. Um, they allow false steps. I did kind of do this to where we don't do uh, a ton of indie drills, especially during the season. I used to be the guy when I was coaching receivers at Missouri Southern. Every receiver had the perfect wide receiver stance, the toe front toe slightly cocked in, everybody leaned down with their hands up ready to go, and everybody looked the same, very regimented. Um, but all that time I spent teaching that, I could have been spending using on something else because ultimately, whether it's college and you got 20 hour rule or you're in high school and you only have it for this amount of time, is that perfect receiver stance worth what you're going to get out of teaching, you know, a red zone pick play or something like that. Uh, that's the thinking behind it. And we've kind of gone through some of that. Um, my quarterbacks, for example, the way we do pass drops, I just want them to get back to nine yards. Okay. Um, on our drop back passes, I've got a six five quarterback who takes a punch step three step drop to end up at nine yards. I've got a five eleven quarterback who takes a quick five-step drop from the gun to get back to nine yards because his legs are not long enough to get back in three or just by the way he was dropping. So they use two different drops for the same play to get the ball out in the time that we need. And so my, I guess my biggest pet peeve is everybody goes to a quarterback coach or guru and they're teaching all these perfect drops that go with these passes, but it doesn't necessarily fit every kid's body type. Yeah. Um, so now you don't want to let them get away with anything detrimental, you know? So whether it's a, a you know, a quarterback doing something uh, like my, my younger quarterback likes to drop the ball down. We call it like putting the ball in the, you imagine there's a, you're standing at waist deep in a pool. You don't want to bring the ball all the way down in the pool and get it wet as you bring it back up. Like I don't let him do that, but at the same time I don't need all three quarterbacks to have the exact same identical drop. When they're all completely different kids, one's a righty, one's a lefty, one's six, five, one's five, ten. If you follow yeah. me there. So, um, and I would have never done that when I came straight from college when everybody was exactly detailed and you had to be a robot in the way your stance and drop was. Um, Coach Kelly, and when uh, he did this at Presbyterian this year, and then also at PA, they use a zero-drop pass protection. So all five offensive linemen, he says, don't have to be great. They're going to try to battle uh, for their three seconds right there on the line of scrimmage. They don't drop back. The quarterback takes a no-drop. So he literally catches the ball and stands there, um, which is very different. And they're, they're uh, because they do that, they can run their routes different. So, like, their hitch route – is not based on steps or yards. They run a hitch and wait until the corner opens his hips and then they stop. It could be at four yards or it could be at ten yards. Um, so the quarterback has to be at a zero drop, ready to deliver that ball.
1: You know, be ready to
0: throw at any time because he's not sure when that receiver is going to break. Um, we don't do this. We get back to our um, our nine yards and we try to throw based on our like our, our four timeline, um, but. You know, I do think it's worth having a discussion for why do you do this stuff just because they did it that way. I mean, they've thrown – he's had like 10 quarterbacks throw for more than 5,000 yards in the season. So maybe there's something to it. Um, now when they got to uh, Presbyterian this year, I know they had to uh, finally add a different protection there at the end of the year. So um, I do think it's just worth discussion. Why do we do it this way even though it's as simple as uh, quarterback drops? Um, here's another guy that, that I've gotten to know, Steven Prather. Um, so he's the CEO of Sports Source Analytics out here in uh, Franklin, Tennessee, outside of Nashville. So they're hired by a bunch of people. Um, they pull what their company does is they pull every box score across the country in, in all of college football. And it goes into this database and they can basically pull out all these different statistics that come from those box scores, which is really interesting. So every single college football game in the last however many years they've been doing it. Um, he can pull out all these different things, which, which I'll get to. But he came in a clinic with our staff, which is a big help. And it's basically the same thing over and over again. Why do you do all this stuff? Um, break down to, you know, workouts, to pass protection, to anything. Why, why are you doing what you're doing? Uh, then another one is Fergus Conley. Uh, he used to be the, the lead sports scientist for Michigan football. Uh, he's got a bunch of books that are out. And um, I recommend a lot of these books. So here's, here's some right here. Um, Game Changer is a textbook about that thick, um, and it's it's written extremely uh, intelligently and interesting. It will tell you the same correlations in all the team sports. So there are some things that the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team do that is the same as the Golden State Warriors is the same as the New England Patriots. So when you have three of the most successful teams in their sports history across three sports and they're all doing something similar, I do think that's worth getting into. Um, I'm always looking for new ideas. And so uh, whether it comes from rugby or soccer, or some other sport, um, our girls basketball coach is, is going to be in the Hall of Fame. She's a legend. So, you know, I'm constantly looking for different ideas, because there are some correlations in team sports, regardless of sport. Uh, they're still team sports. And the way you play um, that, you know, for us, our tempo on offense is the same as a fast break, no huddle. Um, basketball team is the same as like a Manchester City, uh, high tempo, um, soccer team. Right. And so the way we play, it's called fastball versus slow ball. Um, so the way we play, you know, it's definitely interesting and you can follow it across those teams. Of course, I'm fans of basketball, like Bruce Pearl, when he was at Tennessee, uh, no huddle. I mean, not no huddle, uh, full court pressing all the time, you know, just hurry up basketball. I love that kind of stuff. What was it? Uh, dunk city. I think they were like that too. That sounds Um, great. Yeah. Florida, Florida Gulf coast. Um, so I love that style of basketball. Um, I don't like the what's called slow ball, you know, the the give it to the post guy, make a move to the clock. Um, You know, I don't, I don't really like those games. Um, So, yeah, I mean, but it's, uh, it's interesting stuff. And then the process is actually breaks it down Um, game changers for all team sports. The process is for football. So specifically football, you can go in there and it kind of teaches you how to design all these things, Um, you know, like our, um, weekly schedule, you know, is in is all in there. Kind of pretty much came right out of this. And then uh, fifty nine lessons is is across all the different sports plus special forces. He worked with those guys and and any way you can pull anything, uh, a bunch of quotes and stuff um,
1: is it, helpful.
0: All right, you play blackjack.
1: I I do I I enjoy doing some blackjack. Okay, do you
0: play do you play with the card or play by the book? Uh, card. Card. there you go okay yeah so when you play by the book same thing like so i've got a 16 okay and the dealer shows a six i'm supposed to stand and yeah. now everybody that's chasing 21 hates that you know they don't like to stand um and it's not a great hand and no. it doesn't mean you're going to win um uh, every time but if you lose on that hand that doesn't mean that it's the wrong decision correct and, of how I look at analytics when it comes to fourth down conversions and this kind of stuff. So um, same with, you know, Jim Harbaugh going for two. I saw that. I think that I didn't watch the game, but I heard about it. Uh, I think that was yesterday. Um, you know, if you have one play to win the game and uh, statistically, you know, maybe you've got a good play. You have to know that in the back of your mind, but I would rather win the play on one, one play, knowing I have a good play as opposed to trying to go to overtime or whatever. Um, and then hoping it works out or if that makes sense so just because it doesn't work in your favor doesn't mean it's the wrong decision
1: yeah and we talked about that earlier like i mean that's the same thing with lane kiffin or even the san diego and that san diego la Chargers coach i mean it's just because it doesn't work doesn't mean it wasn't the right call i mean that i mean to your point blackjack is a game of analytics whether you're playing by a book or you're playing by cat i mean what you're seeing i mean it's all a game of okay, statistically, what cards have been used, what cards haven't, what do you have, what do they have up, uh, what have you seen in the deck so far? I mean, it is a 100% a game of analytics.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't know. So I, when I play, I typically have done oh, – this is about the only uh, casino game I've done well, but I play by the book. Uh, you've got – I don't know how you stack your bets and do all that kind of stuff. I kind of got a system there too. But, uh, but yeah, man, if you're into this at all, then I definitely think it, it helps – um it, it helps you because there's a fear out there, especially for head coaches. Um, and especially when you're making millions of dollars, is if I make the quote wrong decision work out, you're gonna get blasted. Yeah, um, you know, and I'll talk about that as we're as we're doing what we did at, at North Jackson. Um so again, it's basically mastering strategy, just like blackjack. It's about understanding how to play offense and defense, Man, I, I love blackjack. Um all right, so now here's what we do live during the game. So are you, are you familiar with Edge Varsity? Here's another sponsor that they don't pay it, you for.
1: Yes, I, I mean, we, we almost we – were year of COVID, we were going to have a big, like, wing T clinic at the school I was at. We we're going to have a big, big clinic, bring speakers from an out, out of the state. Um, we had set them up with them for them to be a sponsor for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, I mean, COVID hadn't canceled everything for us. But, yeah, I, mean, I remember seeing their stuff out of Glacier. Yeah. And, thought, and we thought it was some very interesting stuff on what they were, were doing in terms of analytics and how to look at data.
0: Yeah, so we were one of the early adopters. So I ran into them at a Glacier too, started hitting them up. Um, and next thing you know, you know, I'm giving clinics on it and stuff because I just believe in this stuff so much. Um, and here's what it does for us. is basically here's a picture of, you know, it's the first quarter. There's eight minutes left. Uh, we're on offense. It's first and ten. Uh, where we receive the opening kickoff. They're going to get, um, you know, the, uh, the second half kickoff. And here's what I get. So I get on first down, I've got a person in the box that tells me we're going to go for it on fourth or four or less. So down here at the bottom, usually this is like, you know, one and a half percent. It, those are kind of coin flips at that point, but we are hyper aggressive anyways. So right here, we're on our own 30 Okay, so if we get down to fourth and four, which is going to be what our own 36, I'm still going for it. So a lot of people be like, oof, coach, I ain't I ain't going for it at that point. Um, but we do because we we believe in you know what we're trying to do. Um, the way we do our pass progressions, we only give our quarterback three options and our third read in the progression is a check down. So on third and 10, our quarterback is not terrified to throw a check down to our running back because he knows we're going to go for it a lot on fourth down. So on third and 10, the defense is usually going to guard, uh, try to guard your first down marker, right? So if I do throw a check down, there's a lot of times those check downs become huge plays because most high school teams don't throw to running backs. um, As we've tracked this over the years, a lot of high school teams don't get their back out either. They want to use them in protection against the four-man rush. And now he's still not doing a good job um, n- nobody is happy with their running back pass protection, right? Nobody. Uh,
1: we started flaring ours out a lot more this year because I mean because we kind of had to and to get an extra hat in the ball. We took advantage of some things throughout the year. We we hit some nice things off of it. I mean, I was always you just gotta
0: to- be you just gotta be willing to throw in the ball. Um, yeah, a lot of people uh, and especially quarterbacks now. A high school kid knows it's third and ten, and you've hammered him. It's third and ten he's not going to be willing to check the ball down because it's like he failed you see what I'm saying to where our kids they understand um and I've yet to come up with a system to let him know like hey fourth and four we're going to go for it but he he knows more than likely uh we are going to throw the ball to the running back if he gets six yards great we're going to go for it anyways um and now it's trans transition into We're the team that goes for it all the time. So (laughs) when we do punt, we use our quarterback and we do the Auburn, you know, quick kick, and he's averaging 45 yards a punt because there's no returner back there uh, because we are the team that always goes for it. So, um, you know, it's been a huge uh, deal for us because now I've got a guy in the box and he tells me, you know, first and 10 on the 30, hey, coach, four is your magic number. And so I know I'm trying to get to fourth and four to be able to go for it. Now, just we got stuffed on fourth and one quarterback sneak twice this year. So maybe that's wrong. But uh, if you're going to get stuffed on fourth and one on a sneak, you deserve to lose the game anyways is what I would say. So, hey, it happens. <laughs> uh, doesn't mean it's a wrong decision. No. Um, here's where we get a little more in-depth. So this is maybe the nerd in um, So we do what's called a risk-reward analysis. Okay, so I've got a Google Sheet. That is open on the same computer that we have Edge Varsity open. All right, so on the previous slide, you see over here where it says, like, your chance to win the game. Yeah. So right here, just, you know, first and ten, we whatever. We've got a 52% chance to win the game based on our strengths and weaknesses from the other opponent. I think it was completely balanced when I built this. Um, that app, you can swing your slider strong or weak if you're a better team or, or weaker team or faster tempo team or slower team, kickers, whatever. Uh, So what we do is we run this risk-reward. What is our chance? This is for kickoff coverage. So after we score, I want to know, are we better off kicking the ball deep? Are we better off, say, pooching it, which we don't do? Are we better off onside kicking it? Okay? And so what we do, our pre snap win percentage is uh, this year we average the 27-yard line if we kick it deep. So the opponent is going to get the ball on the 27-yard line. Okay, if we just kick it to them, that's where they start. Pretty good, I mean, not not terrible uh, kickoff coverage because the previous school we were at, it was the minus 37-yard line. So um, most smaller schools, when they struggle with kickers, um, you know, they're going to return it at least to the 35. Uh, Even the referees will agree with you. But we had a kicker who could hit the end zone, so we're trying to determine, do we kick it to the end zone or try to or not. Uh, If we're now unsuccessful as if we kick an onside kick and do not get it, They get the ball at the 47-yard line. We win 35% of the time. A successful win percentage will be we onside kick. We get the ball at the 47-yard line. We win 80% of the time. So it spits out this answer at the bottom. So it says 22%, all right? When we onside kicked every single time at North Jackson, we got 27% of them back, okay? So we set a state record there for that. Um, So now I know if I do it every single time, with a kicker that we imported from Spain that had never even seen American football until week four when he showed up and we got 27% of them back when the other team knew it was coming with 11, 10, 11 guys up. Okay. If they don't know it's coming and we got a chance to onside kick it and we only got to get 22% of them back, we're going to go ahead and onside kick it in this picture. You follow me there? So if it said, 50%, 50%, you'd have to recover 50% of your onside kicks. Then we would kick it deep. The risk reward is not beneficial to onside kick. If it's at 12%, we only have to recover 12 of the onside kicks we take. Then we're going to onside kick in that picture. Um, doesn't mean it's the wrong decision if we don't get it. This year we sucked at it completely, so maybe it's maybe it's wrong to be doing it. Um, but I, I think it's in here. Right? It goes back to um, whether our kicker believed in it or not. Uh, edge varsity also gives you this post game report so here's a couple games we had this year uh, so this was our stewart's creek game a big region game we lost this game because of 16 chance to win we gave away on um, personal foul penalties. so um, new staff new new culture every personal foul that we got was on a senior um, and 16 chance to win that game we handed to the other team by getting a personal foul penalty on third and 10. Uh, They had a third and 15 to kick a 50-yard field goal. Uh, I think it was a 52-yard field goal with two seconds left in the half. We get a personal foul. Now they're kicking a 30-something-yard field goal. Um, This report is really neat because all these little buttons, I can go in there and see this play caused us this percentage to win the game or this percentage to lose the game. Um, and so a lot of kids say, you know, you say, hey, you're hurting your team by getting a personal foul. And they understand that. Yeah, it's not not good. But when you say we lose this game, eight percent. OK, of one hundred percent, eight percent is you gave it to the other team by this decision. And then you multiply that. By, so it's 16 percent. You know what I mean? Um, it, it has a different effect on the kids, I think. So they, you know exactly what they cost their team. It's given an actual amount um, in, that, in that situation. Um, same with turnovers or, you know, interceptions or whatever, too. I think that's cool. Uh, so here's another game. So here's a game we won. So we got all the way down here to less than 25% chance to win the game. Uh, this play here, we get a big turnover. I think this was a fumble and this was a pick. Um, we ended up come back scoring. This is the big touchdown to win the game. Yay, Blackman wins, um, you know, with a minute left in the game. Uh, So you can actually go back and and get all this. All these little green dots are good decisions you made on fourth down um, analytically. So I think there's like five of them in here. Um, And then you also get this deal here at the end of the game. So like um, this play here, we got a fumble back. That's a 30% chance to win the game that we recovered. Um, Getting a first down you know, is 14%. Getting this interception at the game, that's a 35 percentage point swing. Um, so it's you, – you, and you can actually see the momentum of a high school game. And when you show them this picture, you're like, look, guys, I, we've, we've had games where we're down and we've got a 20% chance to win. All hope is gone. We're not going to win the game. You know how they feel on the sideline. Well, then all you got to do is show them some of these to where now, like, look, pff, there we go. We, somebody makes a play. We're skyrocketing. We're back in this. And you can see how the momentum can swing quickly in our direction. Um, I've also lost a game that we were up 35 to, to – uh, 35 to 10 at halftime um, against the number two team in the state with a 99% chance to win the game. So it works the other way too because it pick six, kick off a turn for a touchdown the one time we kicked it deep. Um, so I, – but I think it's neat to be able to show the kids a picture, and all this comes from that edge varsity app, which is cool after the game. So kicking-wise, here's what we did. Um, You know, 2020, we onside kicked 95% of the time. So we got 11 of them back in the season. We got four of them in one game. Um, But even though analytically that was right for us to do, uh, we were in a small rural town at the time, you know, when you interviewed me last, and uh, people were pissed that we were doing it still. We got the fourth onside kick back in a game. And uh, basically won the game with them, and the people in the stands are still mad because we're onside kicking because they just don't agree how how stupid how could you do that? Um, where you know we we would have never had the season we had if we didn't get eleven basically eleven more turnovers um, on the season, you know. And then this past year we could hit we could hit touchbacks, you know. So we're getting touchbacks half the time. Um, statistically if you surprise onside kick you're supposed to get more than 50 percent of them back but we were over um our kicker didn't believe in it he wants to go to college he wanted to you know show that he could kick it deep every time you know he was really into that we practiced it a ton and we had probably five or six good chances and for whatever reason we just couldn't get it back where the previous year with a different team and a kicker who had never even seen american football um I mean, he gets four of them in a, in a game. So, um, you know, I've only done this now for two years and, and uh, since, the, since we started onside kicking. But the more we track it, you know, um, we'll see how it goes. Same thing with two point conversions. We, I mean, we're 55% on two point conversions this year. We do a different swinging gate every game. Um, couple reasons one to make them prepare for it two it's a pain in the ass honestly i would hate to see that and then three it's a lot of fun for our kids and you got some backups you know we had a senior backup defensive end who never played but he caught four two-point conversions this year and so that was kind of his thing and he was super fired up about it um you know we were better off i would argue going for two with our offense it's pretty solid than leaving it up to our uh Operation because it takes three things to go right to make an extra point or a field goal. Uh, you know you got to have a good snap, got to have a good hold, got to have a good kick, and we had three good ones. But still, that's a lot of things to go right. We did not even attempt a single field goal this year. Um, we were we were way better off in our opinion to go for it on fourth down than um, to actually kick a field goal just because our offense was, was rocking and rolling. If we weren't as good offensively, then maybe it would be different. And within the app, you can kind of slide your sliders, um, you know, how good you are. And it makes suggestions. You should kick a field goal here versus, you know, you should go for it. Uh, here's a lot of the stuff I've gotten from um, Sports Source Analytics. Uh, and then I've noticed as we go, uh, this is, it is important that the first matter Uh, So on first and 10, uh, it's 40% of football, the more efficient first down team wins 71% of the time. Basically, you don't have third downs because you're so much more efficient on first down. A lot of people spend a ton of time on third down periods. But if you're not getting in third downs because you're so efficient on first, you know, obviously that should be better. Um, we kind of switched the way we we call plays to the Lincoln-Riley deal. I heard him talk about this in the clinic. I want to call plays that are correct 95% of the time. So basically our counter tray, we don't care what front you're in. You know, our wide cross, we don't care what coverage you're in. There's answers built in, and it doesn't matter what you run. Um, We've tried to build as many of our plays in our offense as 95%ers, as opposed to the way when I first switched to offense – I wanted a post-dig into two safeties. You know what I mean? I wanted a perfect call into the perfect defense. Well, then when they spend the one safety, they got you beat. And, you know, we ran into too much of that when I first started. Um, So now we're kind of – we're trying to win first down, and now we're starting to do it. Um, So the first quarter, first half, first to score, obviously all uh, the big big differences if you want to win the game. And then the first play of the drive. This is the one that uh, some of the old heads and and my coaching buddies – have uh, always talked about uh, basically you're more likely 15% more likely to score if you just have an efficient play the first play when you get the ball on that drive, which it still doesn't really make much sense to me uh, that the first play causes such either uh, benefit or confusion or whatever it is. Uh, but by being efficient on the first play of a new drive, at least getting four yards when I say efficient, um, it, it's your – chance more likely to score. Um, I thought it was really neat. So our first play of that drive, I used to throw deep balls a lot, uh, but that's low percentage. So now on that first play of a new drive, I'm looking to actually get an efficient play and then maybe we'll try the deep ball later. Um, Everybody knows this now, big plays is a 45% uh, chance difference um, on drives that have a big play uh, versus not. So, and this is the average division one team. Um, so they score on half their possessions when they've got a 12-yard uh, rush or 15-yard pass. Now, we just count big plays as 20-plus, so I don't, we don't care as much about uh, the 12 and 15 or whatever. Uh, we just go, we want as many 20-plusers. I got that from Pulaski. Um, and then over the last five years at the FBS level, uh, the team that won the big play battle won 75% of the time. Um, now, in high school, you see a lot of these wing T. Are you guys wing tee? like to grind it out.
1: No, um, you're not. I mean, I'm yeah. I've been at schools where we've been winged I am currently yeah. not, I'm not um,
0: You see a lot of those schools that grind it out, and there's nothing wrong with that either. But um, And your best – even your triple option teams now, they're gashing people when they're really rolling because um, they're, they're getting more big plays than the other team. Same with negative plays. This was a big thing with Coach Kelly. Um, they wanted to have more sacks, so he tracked a lot of sacks. Uh, in general, this is negative plays. Tennessee – had a pretty good turnaround this year because they've done really well on offense. Their defense statistically was very average, but they were the number one or number two team in the nation for negative plays. Um, So tackles for loss or sacks, which I thought was interesting. And I'm, you know, going to try to get with them and see how they're doing that. Uh, From what I saw, it wasn't anything necessarily different, but um, you know, big plays and negative plays. Middle eight, this is a definite thing in high school. Um, So basically this is the last four minutes before the half and the first four minutes coming out of the half. Uh, And so you're 82%. Like you win 82% of your games, these are college teams, if you win the middle eight. So I don't know if it's the momentum or what, um, but I definitely think about this towards the end of a game in a two-minute situation. Um, You don't want to give the ball to the other team with a chance to score going into halftime. And uh, I also now I used to always take the ball um, off the coin toss, but now I defer your 3% chance more likely to win if you defer. Uh, but I like to know that we're getting the ball to start the second half, uh, unless there's weather or some other, some other kind of deal going into it. Um, so I don't know, maybe this just makes you think, man. Uh, like I said, I'm not a math person, but um. <laughs> You know, this was a good point by Bill Belichick talking about keeping Peyton Manning off the field. So if he could score the last four minutes on a long drive, then they got this big halftime. Then he gets the ball to start the second half. How long is that that Peyton Manning and the offense doesn't get the ball? And I know that other teams try to do this to us a lot because we go so fast. Everybody wants to hold the ball and keep our offense off the field. Um, And we get sick and tired of standing over there. So uh, I do think there is some merit to this one.
1: Well, I was, I was looking at a, I forget which, it, it might have been that Patriots game where they played uh, Bills. I don't remember who I, I was looking at an NFL, uh, NFL game and there was a 16 minute difference in time of possession.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Been, yeah. I mean, so it's now, a, how,
1: your whole quarter. I mean, yeah. Now, now, time of possession is a, another stat that
0: doesn't necessarily matter if you're not scoring yeah um you know, so like if the bills I can't remember the game, but I know what you're talking about, but if they came and won the game, the time of possession didn't matter yeah um but I do think you know it, it just depends on the situation that deal is it was like the the snow and the wind and, oh, like, the
1: wind was like 50 miles an hour or whatever yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah um and they won the game with only attempting two passes um yeah. that's crazy yeah. But um, there, I mean, there is some merit to it, but at least we talk about when in the middle eight, it's kind of like a goal of our staff and our kids. And um, it is important. Uh, This is some general stuff that some people roll their eyes. But uh, sometimes I think about this, especially as a play caller. So the law of space is if space does not exist in one area, it must exist in another area, uh, which is common sense. But like when we get into the red zone, we are not going to be in our normal base formation. So a lot of times we get into our two by two tight stuff or bunch nasty stuff because there's not as much space vertically, but there is more space horizontally if we bring everybody in. Um, the same thing, we run a single wing goal line. So if teams are bringing everybody in to start the single wing, we still have an ability to throw a deep out of that. If we're in empty and everybody's guarding, uh, we saw a lot of free safety stuff for our air raid stuff. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, if there's three safeties, if they're five across, we saw that one game, then there's space in the middle to run the ball. And uh, I just kind of think about that, you know, as I'm trying to call plays. Um, law of exposure. Okay, so players and teams exposed to the highest levels of speeds and situational complexities are those who perform best as under pressure. Okay, so what what is it? Uh, pressure builds diamonds. What's that, what's that saying?
1: Yeah, the, the terms – yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know
0: what you know I- I- Yeah, okay, yeah. So, uh, but basically, we try to practice harder than games, and then I believe in tough scheduling for playoffs. Um, we're not going to try to build a ten and no schedule to lose in the first round. I'd rather be seven and three but played some big time teams, knowing that we're going to be. Uh, we've seen all these tough games going into the playoffs. Because I argue with coaches all the time about records and stuff, but um, I do believe in in tough scheduling and. You know, we we kind of get in uh, arguments sometimes about that stuff. But um, you know, is a seven and three team and a ten and zero team. If you lose in the first round, is it the same or is it not? Um, Especially when you know with high school, like how do you guys schedule? um, Does that you see what I'm saying? Ultimately, if neither one of us won a state championship, then what are we doing? Um, You know, you can feel better scheduling an easier schedule and go on ten and zero. But who's actually the better team? It's it's hard to tell until you go out there and play good teams. Um, I know there was a really good team here in town that was four and seven this year because they played a ridiculous schedule. Now, I don't advocate that. Uh, (laughs) But, I mean, from our schedule, from Blackman's standpoint, I mean, we played the number two team in the state and a top ten team week one out of region um, just because it's hard to find games anyways. Um, Paradoxes is stuff they talk about. um, A lot of this is in that sports science book's um, basically like we've got a kid last year who's one of the fastest on the team runs a four-four-seven forty, 40, but he's straight line fast. Where do you put it? You know, just because you run the fastest 40 time doesn't mean you're the best player um, Barcelona uh, when they were really rolling over there in uh, European soccer, everybody thought they had the fastest players, but what they actually had was this called the paradox of intensity. They were able to move the ball faster with less effort than every other team they played. So they actually weren't running at like you put up one of these GPS monitors on them. They're not running as fast as the other team and they're able to use the ball uh, to their advantage. So how do you do that in football? You know, and that's kind of the stuff we're trying to talk about. Um, and individual statistics, does possession time really matter? For us, it doesn't. Because yeah. uh, we just want to score points. Uh, but if I'm running Navy system, then, then maybe, you know, maybe it does. Um, So paradoxes, sometimes it works for some teams sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Our game model is basically this dynamic um, evolving idea. Okay, so what is your team's identity? What do you want to be good at? Uh, What are the principles that you believe in? And it's always open-ended to where we can try to find more answers, obviously, to try to win more games. Uh, so how do you identify all your limiting factors for us Is our offensive line or our lack of d size or whatever, and how do you use that to give your chance the best chance to win? Yeah. Here's our goals. So we don't go up into the game saying um, we need to run 80 plays and we need to have 300 yards passing and 100 yards rushing. We don't get into any of that at all statistically. Um, what we do is we talk about the goal of offense is to create space. Okay, so how do we support each other? Do we use a variety of formations, plays, and players? Okay, so we don't want to just go through one player. We don't want to just use one play. We want to have multiple plays, width and depth. Okay, we want to be able to use 40 plus yards downfield as well as the 53 and a third wide. So the true definition of spread offense. But even if I was wing T, I'd still want to do the same. How do I establish downfield as well as width? OK, we want to be we like to be balanced. We were way too heavy pass this year. Um, but now within that, though, because we were 80 percent, 75, 80 percent pass this year, though, we were still able to use a different mix of uh, interior plays, interior screens, outside screens, tunnel screens, bubble screens, 40 plus yards down the field, deep posts. We, we use the whole field and we were spread the ball to multiple players. So you couldn't just key on our best receiver. And then we do a ton of misdirection. I love that. Uh, we don't run a lot of plays, but we make it look extremely complicated. And we try to do the same thing defensively. We don't do a lot of stuff, but I like to stem and move and show different pictures and different fronts. Um, we're not going to get into all this kind of stuff. Um, but basically, it, it, again, it's our goal board. And how do we go through uh, the sequencing and timing? Um, it's, it seems like a lot. Um, but basically what I've done is I took all this stuff out of the, the playmaker book, uh, game principles and stuff. And then this is how generally we discuss, um, our goals, you know, so what is your scheme identity? What's your multiple options, um, make the field as big as possible, attack the perimeter, all the same stuff with the goal of creating space. Okay. So this is kind of like the more detailed version of that goal board. Uh, that we did, but again, I've got this where people can go and download it, screenshot it, and um, you know take a picture. But um, I don't know. It's it's I kind of feel like a beautiful mind when I'm drawing up all this uh, this stuff, man, because um, it's just it's all these goals everywhere. Um, but ultimately, it's it's not about the stats. It's just about how do we attack everybody. And if you attack the entire field with misdirection and different people and different plays, I think you're you're almost impossible to stop at that point. Same thing on defense. Uh, So our goal on defense is to constrain space. So how do we support each other? Um, You know, by alignment formation, 90% of defense is what getting lined up. You know, so against us, everybody's worried about getting lined up to all these formations and motions. Uh, I do think this is interesting that I haven't seen on a lot of goal boards is the recovery of momentum. So were you able to recover momentum after giving a big play or a sudden change? A lot of the defensive goal boards I've come across didn't necessarily talk about recovering momentum and just, I guess, um, realizing that it's such a big factor, especially in high school. Um, I think momentum is a huge deal. Did everybody cover their assigned areas of the field? Are we balanced? Are we compact? Are we keeping our shape? If you're, you know, cover four team, how did you do with keeping uh, all your different rules? Um, It's the same thing there, getting more detailed. With the ultimate goal of constraining space. So if our goal of our offense is to create space, the goal of defense is to take away space uh, with isolation, termination and disposition. Fancy words for close down space, remove the threat, take away the football. So if you need uh, fancy words, it's up there for you. And if you just need to get lined up, take away the person with the ball, take the ball away. um, It works for them, too. Uh, you know, so do your job, take back momentum, take your space, do your job, hold, a, hold off all the various attacks. Hopefully they don't use all that stuff. They don't use the whole space. They just try to give the ball to one kid or they just try to force it here um, or pr- preferably the coach tells the quarterback exactly who to throw to. Um, we've seen that in the past, um, you know, and then you work together and, and use your teamwork. Oh, let's see here. All right, so here is our uh, weekly game plan. So I love talking this stuff, so, so stop me if you got any questions. Basically, uh, we bring the kids in on Sunday, okay? Uh, we work backwards to build this up. So you go game day, day before the game, which is Thursday, Wednesday, and we go backwards, but it's, it's kind of easier to explain going forwards. Uh, so we bring the kids in on Sunday. We do a lift. Uh, so we do upper body lift, and we watch the film, and we do any sort of indie drills Um, that are relative to what we just did did on on Friday night. So you actually wanna go through the same experiences as a kid, like, so if I got sore running and cutting, then you wanna do some sort of running and cutting on Sunday. Uh, That's what we do that day. Monday is actually our high intensity, high collision day. So that's our man up Monday is what we call it. So we do, that's our Oklahoma, that's our full tackle to the ground. Uh, We do all that on Monday, but it's only an hour and a half practice. Um, It gets all that out early. So if you get a kid dinged up on man up Monday, they've got the rest of the week to be recovered. There's also your JV games that day. So we couldn't have a long practice anyways. Um, And so we basically brought everything up a day. Tuesday is our long practice, our two and a half hour practice. So that's high volume. Um, So we do about 70% of a game Load. So if we're going to run, you know, X amount of plays on a game day, we get up to 70%. We probably do a lot more than 70%, honestly. Uh, But we figured out as we got later in the year, you know, a lot of teams will cut back practice. We did the same thing. um, And it it helped keep us faster and sharper towards the end of the year. Uh, But that's when we're doing our third and long day. We take all of our vertical shots. uh, So we're throwing the ball down the entire field where Monday is just first downs and then short yardage goal line. Uh, We do all that on Monday. Wednesday is no indie drills whatsoever. It's just team and situations. So that's either two-minute or four-minute third down, short yardage. We kind of put all those different situations. We work a ton of them during the week, uh, and especially on Wednesday. And then Thursday, we don't do a walkthrough. We still do the shells 45-minute practice. Um, So we don't do any sort of walkthrough. We do – it's like a true run-through. If you take the shells off – um, we just don't get as good of a look. And then I really hate the kids standing on the sideline dicking around. Um, and so we just make it as much of a practice as we could. If uh, in my previous at North Jackson, we didn't go in the stadium on Thursdays because as soon as you go in there, then they start dicking around. So we just went out to our normal practice field uh, at Blackman. We're on our game field, but um, it's just a practice to us. Is, we're not talking about walkthrough. Um, ideally with an old team, your seniors could start to take over that practice. Uh, but we haven't hit that that situation yet. Is it similar to what you guys do, or a little different?
1: Uh, a little different. I mean, like, I mean, we. I mean, Sundays is a no go in our school district. Yeah. That's just that's just yeah. that, that just is. I mean, that's the culture of our area. I, I mean, that is what that is. Um, I would say, I, our. Mondays aren't as heavy, but I think, too, I think the rest of the week is pretty much very similar. Now I'm with you on the Thursday part. If you, you need to make that as practice-like as humanly possible or else it turns into a dick-off session. I mean, it just does. I mean, and that's, and that's, and that's everywhere I've been. Like you got to make it as much practice-like.
0: Other, other than college, um, like in Tennessee, it wasn't that way, you know? Um, but other than that, every high school I've been at as soon as because you're just changing something like they're not mature enough you're going from the practice fields at the stadium and you're wearing your seven-on-seven seven gear or whatever your special shirt instead of your practice gear and then now coaches got all this anxiety because you know your best player doesn't wear his shirt on Thursday so now like do you suspend him from Friday because he didn't wear his t-shirt like and so we just remove all that it's just a normal practice no big deal uh get out there and, and get out of it so Um, The thing we skipped over is that we're fortunate at Blackman, so we don't start school till 8.30. Um, So we actually bring in all of our kids. Uh, First period has got about 40, 45 of our best players in it. Um, And we bring in all of our kids at 7 o'clock so we can do all of our special teams in the morning. Um, Yeah, so that this is kind of an advantage that we had here. Um, So we get a lot done between 7 and 9.45, with uh, at least all of our team for special teams and our best players for film and walkthroughs and corrections before we even hit the practice field at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like that South Georgia schedule. Um, I never had that until I came here, which is super nice to have that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I get that hundred percent. That's like perfect. Let's see.
0: All right, and then this is our, uh, we call it a player model, but basically we're trying, when we think of our kids, Uh, We're thinking of tactical as in their uh, the X's and O's, technical as in their individual drills, psychological, and then their actual physical strength and conditioning. So we take a kid, uh, say James here, and we basically say, hey, for these next six weeks, here's what we want to work on. Here's what we need to do strength, strength and conditioning wise. Here's what we need to do psychologically like this kid here. He's a good player. He's just lacking confidence. Um, now strength and conditioning we needed to get a lot bigger because in the last three uh, years we haven't done a great job strength and conditioning uh, until we brought a new staff in so we're working that now uh, but you know right here psychologically he needs to increase confidence what's a plan we can have for that technically you know whether he needs to be a better blocker or needs to work better on his in-breaking routes from his left side it would go in that section and then the same thing with our x's and o's you know he forgets this, or, you know, we need to do a better job, um, you know, remembering these signals or whatever it is that goes in that, in that tactical section. And so all of this does is it just makes you think of your kids uh, from the four areas, not just X and O area or not just physical area. You know, we don't prioritize different sections of the, of the summer. Like June is not a strength conditioning period and July is an ass whooping sprinting and running period like we think about all four of these year round so we're constantly doing as much football as we can and constantly um you know trying to do as much as we can for these guys psychologically all year long uh and ultimately man this is just the the general idea of sports science and analytics is why are you doing everything uh how do you practice and why what do you spend the most time on and why You know, when you win, do you know why you won Uh, other than you just score more points? Like statistically, is there something you can find for your program that's going to help you win? Um, Same thing when you lose. You know, when we run less plays, when we're under 60 plays, we don't do as well as when we win 80. Um, So we try to push the tempo as much as we can. Uh, When you're focusing, when you watch film, how much do you actually watch film? We've gotten away from that and we're doing more walkthroughs and going outside as opposed to a kid watching huddle film because they either just watch themselves or they like to stare at the other kids and say, oh, look at this kid, look what he's wearing. He's got this towel. The same thing we ran into this year is, let me see if you've ever heard of this, uh, for away games. We didn't show up to that facility until 15, 20 minutes before the game. We walked out there, kicked off and played.
1: Now, did you do stuff at your place before you
0: left? Yeah, so we did a combination. So if we're close to our school, we do our normal game day warm-up, and we would always take in the field anyways at 6.30 for a 7 o'clock game. So if it's only a 15-minute drive down the road, we just load up full gear, shoulder pads, got the helmet ready to go, and then when they get off the bus, they're fully dressed, ready to go. Um, Now, for a game that's further away, we like say Cookville was an hour and a half away. We did our full pregame warm-up at Tennessee Tech, um, which was cool for our kids to, to warm up on the college, you know, field. But also, like, we did everything right there. We started that week uh, week four of the season, week five of the season. Yeah. Every single game we've done that, we've scored the opening possession of the game, Every 100% this year. Um, I think it was because we had a very young team, and our week three game we lost to a rival – Literally because of pregame, <laughs> um, they came in. They're big and huge. They're they're woofing and hollering and talking trash. And our kids are like, "Ooh, look how big he is. He's six seven. Look what he's wearing." You know, they're just distracted. And the entire opening quarter of that game was a complete disaster. Now we didn't lose because of the warm up, but by removing that from our kids. We yeah. go in and play the number one team in the state, top ten in the country, and they fumble the opening play. We score two plays later. We're up 7 nothing. We like we started so much faster than the opening quarter of that other rival game to where we literally got down 14-0 in no time with two pick-sixes. Um, and I think it's psychological with teenagers, and it just removes the – I, I've got to look at the other side if you don't even show up. So we're talking about it next year. It worked great for us now, um, so we might just stick with it. You know, I do think there is some merit to just quit worrying about it, just get off the bus and go play. Yeah. Um, it was really nice in our in our pregame warm-up. We could work our special plays that we didn't want to show at if we were at that location. You see what I'm saying? So say we had new formations and motions, it's basically we're going through them full speed and we're not worried about showing the other coaches on the other side of the field. Um, it removed a lot of anxiety even on our coach's part we're not getting pissed about so and so you know is wearing the his back plates out or he's wearing pink gloves and we're not supposed to be wearing pink you know you could kind of correct all that at your own place or a different location and it just kind of calmed all the anxiety down I think is what helped us this year Uh, now next year we return 15 starters so it's not going to be a big deal hopefully Um, but I do think it just depends on how old your team is and you know, but this is the reason we do all this stuff is why are we, I mean, everybody's always warmed up at the location, right? So why why do we change that? Um, I don't know, you know, and I do think if you're asking yourself why to, every single thing you do um, and you can't come up with a good reason, maybe you should be do, doing something different. Same with our kids. If they ask us why we do it, we have an answer. If we don't have an answer, maybe we should be doing something different. So, and the last thing, man, we're trying to hire coaches. <laughs> So, uh yep. Yeah. So I need a I need a D line coach right now. I'm always looking for coaches. Uh, hit me up. You know, it's a fun place to work. Cool place. Um, you know, at Channel on Twitter, DM me, send me an email. You ever seen that before in a clinic? Yeah,
1: oh baby. God, I have seen the more heart. like I've not seen it this. this you were surprised by Ray James busting out there, weren't you? Yeah, no, 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 I, I, yeah, that's God, that's hilarious. <laughs> I, it, it, like I said, I mean, bravo. Like, I mean. Yeah. That is beautiful. I mean, I will, I will say this. I, those orange unis are nice. Um, yeah, well, we
0: did that on purpose. Um, so, again, going back to branding, like in my first clinic, right? Yeah. Um, so, there's no orange. We're in, we're in Tennessee, where the University of Tennessee is, but there is actually no orange, mainly orange high school in middle Tennessee.
1: Um,
0: and so, we're orange and navy. We're Auburn colors. But I said there's a bunch of – there's four navy schools all within a 20-minute drive of our high school. So we are going to be the orange team. We are bright orange. We let the seniors design these uniforms. um, And they are straight-up orange color rush in your face, but it kind of goes with our flashy offense and attitude. And, you know, our coaches don't wear polos. Uh, We're wearing Jumpman, you know, uh, dry fits or hoodies or whatever. Um, We put flames on the helmet. As far as I know, we're the only team in America with flames on the helmet. So, again, that's another branding thing. Um, you know, we got this big old banner this year. It's so dag- daggone big. Uh, it takes the JROTC, uh, all them kids to hold it up. You know, we're just constantly doing things to to be different and brand ourselves. And I think if you do that and you watch the other clinic, like you're going to see, hey, yeah, this is what attracts teenagers to want to come play play here. Uh, we don't have to recruit anybody. They just want to show up because it's a cool, uh, happening place to be and it's a lot of fun. And Same with coaches. You know, if you give out more coaches gear to the – To your coaches than any other school around. Well, everybody wants to work there, Um, and so I I I think it works. You got to spend money to make money. My bookkeeper thinks I'm crazy because she saw more money fly out the door in one year uh, than has ever been done. But at the same time, we're bringing more money in on the other side because it all works, It's all cyclical and it works together, right? So, um, man, I appreciate the the orange shout out on the on the uniforms. They they look good on that picture.
1: Uh, they do like I, or, one orange is my favorite color so they, it helps oh, okay well there
0: you go that's red. but, but yeah. i mean
1: <laughs> I, will, I will say those those are nice like it, it well and, like i said i think anybody that knows you knows that you're good at branding i mean that's i mean you you've done whole clinics on it like
0: yeah
1: um but no I, like i said i think that looks good um so <laughs> i'll make sure i put that in the i can't wait to <laughs> type in for hiring tag into this thing um, that's right. no i think that's a great place um coaches um The 45 tags or so that I've written down as he's gone um, will be in the bio. Um, Coach did a fantastic job. Uh, I know, Coach, you're speaking at the Nike. Uh, The one in Orlando. Yes, the Nike Orlando. So if you get a chance to check him out there, uh, you can. Obviously, his clinic that he did for me will be in the bio as well. Um, I think any sponsors or stuff, I'll have pieced in somewhere throughout these. Um, his contact information is obviously on the screen, but I'll put some of that stuff in the bio or tell you to see the video, so forth, so forth. Um, and I, I, and just, I mean, thanks coach. I do appreciate it. Um, coaches like share, subscribe, share this so other coaches see it. I think there's a lot of great resources or a bunch of notes I took down. And then when I edit this, I'll probably take a bunch of other notes. Um, and, then that's just another episode of the gap down backer podcast.